This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. The Pagan and Occult re- uh, or Origins of America. For the full two hours, filmmakers Wes and Justin Fall from Fourth Watch Films are standing by to discuss the director's cut of their new documentary, Belly of the Beast. Before that, a reminder, my live web conference on digital consciousness. Are we living in the Matrix? It's just days away, Thursday, July the 9th from 10.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern. There's limited access to 100 subscribers. And to register, go to strangeplanet.ca and under the Events and Appearances tab, click on Web Conferences. All the details are right there, plus a link that will take you right to the registration page. And there's also an FAQ section to answer all of your questions about Zoom for those of you who are not used to Zoom. Very easy to use. Again, Digital Consciousness, a live 60-minute presentation with Jim Elvidge. The author of The Universe Solve and Digital Consciousness, followed by a 30-minute Q&A, Thursday, July 9th, 10.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom, or Eastern Daylight Time, I should say. To register, go to strangeplanet.ca, and under the Events and Appearances tab, click on Web Conferences. Is the United States of America set to fulfill an ancient esoteric prophecy? charted by mystics of ages past. For thousands of years, mystery religions and diverse occultists have shrouded prophecies of a great continent of the Western Hemisphere that would become the catalyst of the final world kingdom. This globally sovereign empire would lead the entire world into an age of spiritual enlightenment, posturing itself as a true utopia while it ushers in a revival of ancient magic rites as well as a return to the worship of old gods and goddesses. Justin and Wes Fall are veteran researchers and filmmakers specializing in the areas of theology, world religion, the occult, and supernatural paranormal phenomena with a biblical perspective. They're both writers, directors, and producers of Fall Brothers Productions. Justin is the founder and host of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. 
Their lists of documentary films include The Hollow Earth Chronicles, Higher Entities, The Lost Tapes, and their newest, Belly of the Beast. Justin and Westfall, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, gentlemen? Do we have Justin and Wes there? Apparently, we do not. Car- All right, Carlos, you can hear them, but I cannot. So we'll have to get them on the phone. Uh, why don't you call them back and uh, see if we can get that happening? All right. So uh, while we're doing that, Carlos will uh, quickly get Weston, Wes and, and Justin Fall back on the program. And, um, well, <laughs> I'm in the middle of a live show, Carlos, so I can't give you the phone number right now. I, I can't uh, have access to it. You'll have to uh, message them. They'll get they'll get that to you. All right. Let me just remind you as well uh, about my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast. Conspiracy Unlimited. Okay, I'm getting a lot of noise in the background now. I'm not sure what that is. Do we have Weston and Just? Uh, sorry, Just and what? <laughs> let me try this again. Do we have Wes and Justin Fall there? Can you hear us? We do not. I can. There you are. Is that you, Justin, or is that Wes I'm I'm talking to? Pre-configured when I figured out that you couldn't hear me, and so I'm actually using a different device right now. Uh, (laughs) All right. You can hear us okay? We can. I can, yes. And do I have – is this Justin or is this Wes? Uh, This is Justin, and Wes is here. Hey, Justin. Hey, Richard. I'm sitting over here too, man. Sorry about the – whatever just happened. (laughs) That's all right. You well, actually, that happened a little bit in your in your documentary. We'll get into that in a little bit. A little bit of audio interference. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about Belly of the Beast. This is the director's cut. Uh, when did this come out, and and what's new in the director's cut? The director's cut uh, basically allowed us to get the final edit the way that, that we had planned on doing it. Uh, we had come into a, con- a little bit of a time constraint uh, with our initial contract. And so we released the, uh, the original version in uh, late 2018. Uh, and then we've done the updated version. And we basically had a chance to get everything uh, operating the way we wanted to and uh, get our final director's uh, touches on that, including the original artwork that did not make it on the first project. All right, and we'll tell folks how to get a copy of that um, throughout the program. First, let's talk about these mystery religions. We hear about mystery schools, mystery religions, you know, coming out of Egypt. Just spend a few moments explaining what they were, actually. Basically, uh, the mystery religions, uh, what what a lot of times people call the Babylonian mystery schools, uh, they are all these different secret society groups uh, that pretty much date back to the Tower of Babel. They date back to Babylon, uh, and obviously from there you find out that a lot of things, uh, you know, that we have today, uh, they have been shaped from Egyptian mythology. You've got Greek mythology, uh, the Romans. Uh, these things have literally morphed over the years. Uh, they've maintained the same languages and the rituals that have been passed down. And so uh, we we generally call them the Babylonian mystery schools because these are the esoteric or the occultic practices uh, that were very prevalent in the old world uh, system known as the Babylon system. Right. And they they were worshiping uh, essentially what, fallen angels? 
it's, it's our belief that the gods of old are, in fact, the fallen angels. Uh, when we get to uh, this very peculiar passage in Psalm, in the book of Psalms, we find out about this thing called the divine council. Matter of fact, a colleague of ours has done a great deal of work on this, uh, Michael Heiser. Uh, he's been yes. on coast to coast you know, talking about that. Uh, but with the divine council, you're dealing with 72 entities that were set up with very specific purposes. Uh, it was a government, if you will. And these are uh, the, the entities that fell from God. Uh, they literally uh, began to take worship. They began to set up systems of their own, uh, sharing the, the technologies of heaven, sharing the, the technologies that we read about in the book of Enoch. Uh, they began to share these things with mankind. And so in that, that's where we get uh, what we call world religion today. Uh, most people don't realize that a lot of the, the world religions date directly back to uh, the worship of those divine beings. So, yes, go ahead, Wes. You wanted to jump in. Well, yeah, I was just going to add that <clears> – <throat> excuse me – that that passage in Psalms, I believe it's 82, it parallels with another passage in Deuteronomy. And what you had at Babel – when God he came down, I mean, he he said that if he would have let them continue, there was nothing that could have that they would wouldn't be able to do. And so God, um, he came down, he he's, he smote them and he separated them, confused their languages, and um, and none of that was it wasn't time. And we're gonna we can get back into this that um, we're now approaching that it's, it's the same agenda that was taking place back then for a one world system. Um, now we're coming full circle to see it to to see it go through. But um, what I was going to add to that was that when when God came down, he uh, in that passage in Deuteronomy, he put the 72 or the 70, depending on which translation you go to um, these sons of God. He put them. He accounted the uh, the nations to them after he disinherited them. So that adds a little bit extra um, information to the whole picture that we're looking at. The The interesting thing with the divine council is also that we see this number 72 come up in the apotheosis of George Washington. We also see it. And when we get into the, um, the raising of Osiris ritual um, set, actually the evil brother set actually had the 72 cosmic craters that he conspired with to, right. to, you know, to go after uh, his brother Osiris. Right. And we will get back to the apotheosis of George Washington, what that means. But let me uh, just back up here a moment and, and talk about the, I guess, the the prophecy of that this, the the seat, if you will, or worldwide headquarters of uh, this occult religion or pagan religion would be moved to this new world. And keeping in mind, this was, you know, before uh the western hemisphere was was presumably known about but it was predicted that there was going to be discovered this i i believe they referred to it as a blessed continent was it aristotle or plato someone referred to this blessed continent tell me about that yeah, so Plato is who you're referring to there. Plato uh, was very well known in the old world for encoding these ideas in his writings. And the people who were the esoteric scholars of his day and, and, and they continued to follow uh, in that path, uh, they're very familiar. They've been very familiar with these prophecies that Plato wrote. And uh, furthermore, uh, what was very interesting is that the Greek biographer Plutarch had actually documented the fact that there were voyages that, that made it to our shores. I mean, we're talking about way, way before Christopher Columbus, way before the Native Americans. Um, we have evidence that even the Egyptians made it to the Grand Canyon. 
uh, and I know that sounds crazy, uh, but there's parts of the Grand Canyon that are completely cordoned off. You can't even get to them. Most people don't even know they exist because the government has come in there. They've set up barricades. They've created damage control. But Plutarch documented uh, that the ancient Greeks made it here. They, they were able to chart some of the land out. They made it to some of the Great Lakes. Uh, but the interesting prophecy, the prophecy says that there's going to be a great continent that was going to be blessed. It was going to raise up in the last days and that it was going to be the major continent located in the Western Hemisphere. And the idea was that this continent was going to be the birth of a new world order. Okay, This was going to be an age of enlightenment that was going to come upon the world, and this continent that we call America was going to be a very special continent that would be a beacon of light to the rest of the world. That's essentially what the prophecies of Plato explain if you know how to read them. And this idea of America being a beacon of light to the rest of the world. It was also based on the fact that America – and keep in mind, this, these are thousands of years old. Okay, These are some old prophecies. They believed that America was going to literally uh, set up an experiment known as the Democratic Commonwealth and that they were going to be utilizing democracy around the globe. Now, that's what the old prophecies say. What's crazy about that is here we are today in 2020, and America is a well-known – for being the nation that polices the world with democracy. And that's only one of the aspects uh, that have been fulfilled. But you get a little further down the road and you find out that uh, Sir Francis Bacon, who wrote the, the book The New Atlantis, uh, you know, we believe that Francis Bacon was uh, the, same, the same person as William Shakespeare, by the way. Uh, but that's, that's just a little side note. Uh, Bacon wrote the New Atlantis. Not the Earl of Oxford? Not the 17th Earl of Oxford? You believe it was Bacon? Okay. That's all right. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we'll have it's to, funny we'll because have to disagree on that one. I'll have to disagree <laughs> on that one. However, no, it's an interesting – I don't want to get sidetracked. but uh, No, you know, absolutely. I, I throw that in there because it's kind of a funny thing. A lot of people debate who Francis Bacon really was. Uh, but what we do know for a fact uh, is that he, he penned the New Atlantis, and the New Atlantis has been continually being fulfilled – by United States of America, like the things that were written about there, the way things are set up here, uh, and it was basically acting on an ancient hope. You know, the, 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 these ancient hopes that were uh, prominent with Egyptology. You, you go back and study the religions of Egypt, and you're going to find out that they are literally interwoven into the fabric of the United States of America. Uh, just as a little we'll, yes, as we'll discover once we take a little tour of of the uh, the mall in Washington, the uh, the obelisk that is the Washington Monument, and of course the domed. Um, uh, the domed Capitol building. Um, but, but, and we, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, Can I make a quick uh, – I just want to make a quick note yes. on the Western Hemisphere. Uh, this yes. is just kind of, a, uh, kind of a cool little nugget. Uh, if you notice, a lot of the old maps are basically just broken down with two circles. Now, not all of right, them, right, but you'll right. notice a lot of the old maps. And basically you got the Western Hemisphere on the left and then you got everything else on the right. And <laughs> it's fascinating because the, the map makers and the charters of the old world, they knew that there was something about this Western Hemisphere. There was so much built around this Western Hemisphere in the New World. And that's another reason that I believe uh, that there has been so many conspiracies to try to hide our history. You know, they try to tell us about Christopher Columbus. They try to tell us the natives were here first. Uh, but our history has been retold over and over. And it makes a lot of sense because the people who are controlling the narratives, uh, 
are the very people that have maintained the secret societies and rituals secretly over the years. And they're the same people who are still running this nation today. Right. Uh, it, it appears Columbus wasn't first. He may have been last. Uh, in fact, I, I seem to recall uh, one of my guests uh, telling me about the Bronze Age uh, that that uh, happened in the, the old world. Uh, there wasn't enough copper in Europe to have supplied uh, that in, in, in essential ingredient for, for, for bronze. And there was a, a gigantic copper mining operation on the, I believe it was the, uh, the south shore of Lake Superior uh, that they've uncovered. And I'm, I'm, you'll have to give me a time frame here when the Bronze Age was, but it was obviously, uh, you know, uh, before the Common Era. So it, it looked or it sounds like even maybe even the Minoans, the Phoenicians, uh, the ancient Egyptians were all over here, perhaps mining copper. What do you think of that? I think there's some truth to that. Uh, there's definitely some potential because, uh, as we've already stated, that Plutarch docu- Plutarch uh, is on record uh, documenting that the ancient Greeks uh, had made it to the Great Lakes area. So I think there's definitely some plausibility there just, just in that aspect alone. Uh, but even further than that, when you start studying out the, uh, the areas in the Grand Canyon, uh, there are – there are temples that some of my sources have told me there are temples that have been carved into the rocks, almost like what you see with Petra over in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are Egyptian temples that have been carved into the rocks. Uh, you can't just go over there and see those things. So I, I really think that this is all tying together. I think the secret societies uh, are the ones that control all of that, meaning that those temples that are carved in the rocks – they use those things privately for their their Egyptian rituals. As we're going to talk about tonight, a lot of the magic that we see today um, in politics, uh, what we would, I mean, literally magic rituals that are taking place in D.C., they date back to the old world. That's, that's so important that we knock that out of the park because people have to understand, Richard, that rituals are the phone numbers to reach the other side. And they have to be done specifically to get specific results. So – Let's talk about the the founding then of the United States. And we've always, I've certainly um, always believed that that it was predicated upon Christian Judeo traditions. Uh, and then, in fact, Western civilization is built upon Judeo-Christian civ- um, um, values. Uh, and yet we have, I believe, 44 of the 55 uh, framers of the Constitution and the uh, sign, uh, signatories to the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. So does that mean that, that the Freemasons, uh, they had it in their mind from the very beginning that the United States was to be uh, based upon these mystery mystery religions is Babylon mystery religion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wes will break some of that down here in just a second. I just want to comment to say that the foundation of this new world, this new system, uh, these guys who were part of the Freemasons, uh, they were not just low level Masons. They were literally these men knew about the destiny that was 
spoken of and prophesied even about this nation. Uh, again, we're, we're dealing with people who have been raised in the craft. They're familiar with the history of the craft. Uh, they're familiar with what the Sibylline prophecies are. Uh, and those are things that we talk about in the film, uh, the, the prophecies of Apollo rising up in the last day. Uh, and again, Apollo and Osiris, it's the same entity. Uh, it's just in different cultures. But the founders of this nation, by majority, the one uh, we're not just dealing with Masons either. We're also dealing with Hellfire Club. We're dealing with Rosicrucians. Uh, we're, I mean, we're dealing with a whole lot of, of secret societies here. But they have maintained the old prophecies that this was going to be that Western Hemisphere beacon of light. Furthermore, uh, you can see that when you find out that this whole nation was built upon an old vision. For the Novus Ordo Seclorum, uh, which is on our dollar bill, by the way, which in, in Latin means the new order of the ages. Okay, so let me just mention a couple of founding fathers. We're coming up on a break here, and we'll 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 begin this discussion now. And I know Wes wants to jump in, and we'll we'll continue after the break. But Thomas Jefferson, for example, uh, Jefferson was considered a deist, although he 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 often referred to the importance of Jesus Christ as one of the great moral teachers. Um, so how do we square square sort of the, the, the Masonic Thomas Jefferson with someone who had great reverence for, well, he didn't consider him to be the son of God, but, you know, certainly Christians do, but yet he had great reverence for Jesus Christ. That doesn't sort of square with someone who's kind of a Luciferian. Well, generally speaking, in, in the occult, you're going to find that a lot of people will say that Jesus Christ is one of the ascended masters. Uh, they say that based on the fact that they've never really studied the Bible. They've never really studied the teachings of Jesus specifically. Uh, and so he kind of gets balled into one of the ascended masters, uh, which is very common with New Age thought and even Hinduism. Uh, in Hinduism, they look at Jesus very similarly, uh, depending on who you talk to. Uh, but uh, Jefferson very much hated the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that he's written against the Bible. Matter of fact, he, he ripped up a Bible and stitched it together after he took out the parts that he didn't like. Uh, they sell his version of the Bible. Bible in Washington, D.C. at the uh, at the gift shop. <laughs> ah, interesting. Interesting. And and uh, George Washington. Uh, Washington was ostensibly an Anglican, although he would um, he would visit different churches of different denominations. Sometimes he would attend a, a, a Quaker's church. Sometimes he would attend a, a Presbyterian service. Uh, it is said, you know, during the the War of Independence, uh, because they didn't have a chaplain. He would lead his troops in prayer and so forth. What do you make of that? Uh, he wasn't praying to the God of the Bible. Uh, George Washington is on record at the Library of Congress. Uh, people may wonder where we get a lot of our information. Uh, you can vet this stuff if you take the time to study it at the Library of Congress, which you know we've done. Uh, there are letters between uh, I forget I forget the man's name. One of Washington's pastors. Uh, I, I, we did not include this in the film because it's a side note, but he does go on record to say that he's talked with Washington over and over. Washington does not accept Jesus Christ. He's a deist. Uh, he was basically attending church for political connections and because he was the president, it was for it was for appearances, kind of like what we see today. A lot of you know presidents, they want to get the evangelical vote. However, Washington was very much involved in the craft uh, of Freemasonry. He, he right, was involved. 
I'm sorry, I'm, uh, Justin, I'm going to jump in here because we're going to take a time out. We'll come back. Wes and Justin Fall from Fourth Watch Films. We're discussing Belly of the Beast, their documentary, The Director's Cut. Back with more in a moment right here on The Conspiracy Show. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Wes and Justin Fall, the Fall Brothers, writers, directors, and uh, Fourth Watch Films is the uh, production company. And the uh, the new film is Belly of the Beast, the director's cut. And we are talking about the occult origins of the United States. Now, just to be clear, uh, there is kind of this, as you point out in the film, there is there there is a... A, also a Judeo-Christian underpinning to the United States uh, from the beginning as well. But the two, the occultic pagan side and the Judeo-Christian side, have sort of coexisted and there is this tension. So you're not saying that the United States is a, you know, a Luciferian country. There, there are two factions sort of at battle here, correct? Exactly. Yeah, we. that's one of the things that we want to kind of give a disclaimer whenever we do interviews. We love this country. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for God allowing us to live here. We couldn't, honestly, I don't know if any other country in the world I'd prefer to live in. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's some some trials and things that are taking place right now that we have to get through. But yeah, we're by no means are we saying that, um, you know, that God hasn't blessed this country and, and done things here. Um, but we, we just wanted to, with the film and the research that we're doing, um, you know, yes, there are the, the Puritans were here and God was doing a move in the founding of this country. But at the same time, there was like you were mentioning, you know, from the film, it's, it's like a, it's a paradox in America. And so you do have that occult, you know, um, underlying that's taking place and still continuing to take place. But at the same time, um, you know, God's plan is still intact. And so we're, we're, we're covered as far as that goes. The, um, the film points out that with with our investigation into occultism and looking at the time period of you know, the founding of the country, that occultism was spreading. Uh, it was spreading wildly and, and all over the world. But they they had to practice, you know, they, they practiced their arts and secrecy because there was persecution. They would actually put people to death for these things. And so when they saw that this was a, a new um, a new continent that hasn't been hasn't been touched, this was their their new place to practice freely and openly. And they use it as a safe haven to come over here and practice their dark arts and and to not be persecuted. And that's where the freedom of religion comes in. And so a lot of people think, you know, that and we were raised to believe the same thing, that America was founded on Christian principles. We, you know, everybody's seen the David Barton films. Um, But we got to a point where our research was actually contradicting that. And I mean, it was it was questions, too, because we visit D.C. and it's like, well, you know, I don't really see crosses here. I don't see scripture here. I don't see anything for uh, for the apostles or for the disciples or anything, it, it really feels like you're walking through Rome. And so, with all that, we had a lot of questions that needed to be answered. And and coming to find out, we we realized that the the freedom of religion was actually a protection. It was a cloak for the occult to be able to practice freely over here without persecution. It wasn't it wasn't uh, specifically to protect Christianity from being persecuted. Uh- so let's talk about then the the formation of the capital, Washington, D.C., which now, if memory serves from the film, you mentioned Sir Francis Bacon. 
did did Bacon not believe? Didn't he believe specifically that Washington, the Washington D.C. area, may have been the location of uh, of Atlantis? Uh, my understanding is that he believed that the uh, the continent of North America, ah, the whole continent, okay, the continent of North America. Uh, but I, I want to add something to that. Uh, most people don't realize where the name America comes from, and I think it's important to go ahead and get this out there. Yes. Um, you know, we we have all of these really weird fa- uh, fairy tales, fables that we've been taught in school. You know, everything from Amerigo Vespucci to uh, you know, I mean, just so many, so many funny stories. Um, but in reality, the name America is made up of a root word, uh, Amaru, Amaru, depending on where you are, how you say it. It's uh, A M A R U, and that is the name of the plumed serpent god. Now, in Peru, they call him Amaru. Uh, in Quiche, they call him Gucamatz. In Mexico, the same god is refer- uh, referenced as Quetzalcoatl. Right. And it's ironic that these are all Western Hemisphere places worshiping the same god under different names. And so the name America literally means, uh, if you break it down, it's Amaruka. Amaruka, which is literally the land of the plumed serpent. So when you think about the fact that this god was worshipped, the Luciferian god of Freemasonry was already being worshipped in this area, on this land, before the Native Americans got here. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because we have evidence from uh, DeWitt Clinton, who was at the time – he was the head of the New York uh, Historical Society, and he specifically said – now, he was also the governor, by the way, of New right. York uh, in 1811. Uh, so he wasn't just the head of the New York uh, Historical Society. Uh, but he said that they have found fortifications, ancient fortifications on our land that give definite evidence that there was an advanced civilization here exceeding that of the Indians. And so we find out that there was this highly – Very likely advanced technology going on on this continent based on some of the findings that we've looked into. And the symbols of Freemasonry that we see today have been found on artifacts, Richard, artifacts dating back before the Native Americans got here. And so we believe that there were ancient forms of Freemasonry taking place on this land that got taught to the Native Americans because we also find those same symbols and the same types of brotherhoods among Native Americans, which we broke down in the film. Uh, But we find some very interesting artifacts from the Native Americans that these symbols have nothing to do with their, their tribes. These symbols are literally direct links to the God of Freemasonry. So can you give me an example? So like, for example, would you find the, the the Masonic uh, uh, compass Yes. Okay. So uh, on, on the compass. A, yeah. They call that the square and compass. Uh, you'll find the square and compass. As a matter of fact, we show uh, images from the old New York uh, Historical Society. Uh, we, we we really man, we hit we hit a gold mine uh, finding some of these ancient Masonic relics uh, from this nation. Uh, but yeah, the square and compass. You also have uh, the star and the crescent moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the pentagram. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that the pentagram is kind of a, a major player in, in various forms of occultism, not just not just uh, you know regular witchcraft or traditional witchcraft. Uh, but what's interesting is that you find these medals, and then we also have pictures of some of the the uh, Indian chiefs that were wearing these medals as necklaces. And while they don't claim to have Freemasonry in their you know in their tribes and in their practices. What they believed and what they did line right up with the Freemasonic religion once you get up to the higher degrees. 
the way that they met in lodges, the way that they did their rituals. They called on the old gods. Uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting to, to think about what a principality is. And the principality of this land, which basically the entity that's over this land, would be Amaru, the, the, the plume serpent god. And when you get up to the 32nd degree of Freemasonry and you start studying out the writings of Albert Pike, you find out that the god of Freemasonry is, in fact, Lucifer. Well, I, I, um, I've always been somewhat conflicted by that. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've certainly heard that, that, that uh, Pike was a Luciferian. Uh, but then I've also uh, I've had people on the program who not defending uh, necessarily El- necessarily Albert Pike because he was um, you know involved in the the KKK and he was certainly pro slavery although he had a great affinity for for the North American Indian and as a lawyer he defended them all the way up I think to the Supreme Court for some of their land disputes because he believed I guess that the the Knights Templar uh, had been over to North America and, and had set up. Uh, a number of sort of treaties with uh, with the Native Americans, and this is this is again, you know, centuries before Columbus. Um, but I've been told that that is considered the lie that will not die. That Albert Pike was a Luciferian, uh, and that in fact, if you want, if you, if you want to hear yeah. it, though, if you want to hear it out of his own, sure, yes, please. Yeah, go ahead, please. Oh, did we lose him again? Nineteen. <laughs> I believe Wes is saying that he believes it's chapter 19 in Morals and Dogma. Uh, there's multiple references there uh, where he says that Lucifer is the supreme God. All right. I'll have to take your word for it. I mean, and again, I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm just trying to get to the, the truth here. All right. So but but, but let, let's let's be let's just be fair for a second. And I'm not going to try to act like that's OK. In my opinion, it's not OK. But here's the thing. When somebody is in the craft at that high of a degree, they really believe what they're doing is right. They believe that what they're doing is just. I mean, he is just as much thinking that Lucifer is the good guy that I think that Jesus is the good guy. Like his his devotion to the craft is just as much as mine is to Christianity. And so, you know, in his eyes, it's not a bad thing. Uh, so I, I think it's important as a researcher to be able to see that there's people out there with different views and they believe their views are just as right as I believe about mine. Right. Okay, now there's. Um, I think we're coming up on a break here as well. Uh, why don't we take a time out? And when we come back, I do want to, to circle back to uh, Benjamin Franklin because <laughs> the Hellfire Club is certainly, you know, there's no mistaking what they were up to, uh, and uh, that certainly speaks to the uh, the occultic leanings certainly of some of the founding fathers. We'll do that when we come back with Justin and Westfall from Fourth Watch Films, and uh, we are discussing Belly of the Beast, the director's cut, and the occult and pagan origins of America right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Justin and Westfall stay with us for the full two hours tonight, and we are discussing the occult and pagan origins of the United States. Their documentary is Belly of the Beast, the director's cut. Before the break, we were talking about uh, Albert Pike, who is the uh, certainly the most uh, influential, powerful um, a Freemason in the United States, and um, the, the question that I brought up was whether or not, in fact, he was a Luciferian, because I've heard uh, 
uh, a number of on a number of occasions that yes, in fact, he was a Luciferian. I've heard from other people, for, uh, Masons, <laughs> uh, go figure that uh, that is not the case. Yeah. So, um, uh, Wes, did you? I think you found the passage from Morals and Dogma. Wes, can you hear me? Okay, we're back. Richard? Yes, we are back. Okay, man, I'm sorry, man. This we're having issues on our end. Um, I did. I was able to find the the quote that uh, that most people lean to on the Albert okay. Pike, and that was um, it's uh, from Morals and Dogma, and it's saying that it's page three twenty one. Uh, Lucifer, the light bearer, strange and mysterious, uh, mysterious name to give to the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, the son of the morning. It is he who bears the light and with its splendor and tolerable blinds, feeble, sensual or selfish souls. Doubt it not. Right. OK, well, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's pretty clear. Quote. All right. So, um, you know, they have his body. His body is actually behind a wall at the Herodome. While we were walking through the, the Herodome, the Masonic Temple of D.C., uh, the guy told us that right behind this stone wall was his body laying in state. Right. And if memory serves, he at that time was the only person buried within, I guess, what we're at that time, the, 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 the proper city limits of Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. I guess that speaks to his influence and power. And let's uh, also you made a really interesting comment before the break. I just want to commend you on on what you said about him, uh, you know, fighting for the Native Americans. Uh, That's even further evidence that they were part of the same type of craft. Even, you know, there we're talking hundreds of years prior to Albert Pike's existence. uh, But he was very much aware. Uh, And and I'll take it a step further. Manly P. Hall, another prevalent Mason uh, and theosophist. He also says that the rights of the Native Americans are very important to understanding the craft. I mean, these are things that you just can't make up. So when you find out that there are connections with the the, the religion behind the Freemasons and the Native American Indians, not all of the, the Indians, by the way, but, but a, a good portion of them, it makes sense why Albert Pike had an investment there. Right, right. And then there's apparently this whole history, where, again, with the, uh, the Knights Templar uh, mm-hmm. who came over after being chased out of Europe. Uh, presumably with their their Templar treasure. Uh, now, I want to talk about the Hellfire Club. You mentioned that as one of the secret societies. And uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, interesting character, was reportedly a, uh, well, I don't think there's any doubt he was a member. And this was this was in London, I believe, uh, the Hellfire Club. Uh, and he, this was prior, I guess, to the American Revolution, was it not, that he was a member over there? Yeah, they said that uh, they had excavated. I think we lost you there, Justin. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm not hearing them. Can you hear me? Now I can hear you, yes. Huh. They had excavated one of his estates, and they found out that there was a whole lot of remains of women and children and animals that appeared to have been uh, sacrificed in rituals and burned. And this was at uh, one of Benjamin Franklin's estates. Uh, This information was given to us while we were setting out to work on Belly of the Beast. So we were just getting into the research and we find out that Benjamin Franklin, uh, you know, basically bodies were crying out from the grave uh, in his old estate. Wow. Talk about skeletons in the closet. My word. (laughs) The Hellfire Club was, well, it obviously the Hellfire Club predates Aleister Crowley, but it kind of, I guess they would have been simpatico. The whole idea of the Hellfire Club was 
you know, do what do what you want. That's the whole of the law, right? Like it was about it was about uh, in, enjoying um, um, all the sensual pleasures of this earth, correct? And then some to the extreme. Yeah, they were very well known, uh, and they also went by another name, the Knights of Memmingham. And uh, there's actually a book about that. Uh, there, there's a couple names they went by. But what's fascinating is that a lot of the rituals that they partook, uh, they they were involved in some very, very heavy decadence. Uh, and some of the rituals that they were involved in were ancient Babylonian sex magic rituals uh, that could only be carried out in same-sex environments. Uh, these were another reason why these things had to be done secretly back then. Uh, you know, you, you get caught doing same sex rituals uh, back in those days and you get you get finished pretty quick. And so right. that was another thing that they were uh, very well known for uh, with the Hellfire Club. OK, so let's let's talk about the uh, the layout uh, of Washington, D.C. And um, walk us through, I guess it was Thomas Jefferson that ultimately hired the uh, sort of the principal architect firm, architecture firm that that uh, constructed a lot of the monuments in Washington. Tell me about that. Yeah, you can go to the, the uh, it's called the most approved plan on um, what's the website? Library of, Congress. Library of Congress website. Sorry about that. It's called the most approved plan. And um, and you'll find out that Thomas Jefferson was he was shepherding this plan. Um, he put out different bids so that different people could come in and, you know, try to try to make the best out of uh, their ideas. But he wanted an idea. His idea was to recreate the Roman pantheon. And that is dedicated to all pagan gods. He wanted that to be used. Um, he also, uh, the, the capital city is named after Capitoline. Um, so you have, um, or the, the Capitoline is, it was in Rome, right? Yeah, that's know? right. That's correct. And so, um, so Jefferson wanted to do that. He wanted to pay homage to all the pagan gods and goddesses and have it um, have a new, you know, a new place here. So you'll you'll notice that a lot of this, the architecture in D.C. it's it, it's very reminiscent of your um, your Greek and your Roman um, temples. And there's even many of them are actually called you know temples. Uh, the uh, I'm sorry, man. I just uh, no, that's yeah, okay. The, we're gonna we're gonna take quick, We're gonna take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll talk about some of those uh, structures in Washington uh, on the conspiracy show. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. And uh, Justin and Westfall will stay with us into the second hour and we will take uh, your questions and comments at that time. Uh, for the time being, just keep your powder dried, sit tight, and uh, listen in as we continue to delve into the occult and pagan uh, origins of the United States. So we were talking about uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, his his vision for the capital uh, was that it would mirror, I guess, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, if you will, and we can certainly see it is magnificent uh, uh, architecture. There's no question. Uh, I, I'm uh, always... Uh, just in absolute awe when I when I visit uh, your capital. Just it's so grandiose. Um, and um, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of the the more the, the better known uh, uh, monuments and statues and, and so forth. And 
in the uh, in the film, you're given kind of a guided tour by uh, Thomas Horn, who's a great friend of this program. And um, tell me about the uh, the Washington Monument, the obelisk, and uh, and and what it actually means. Do we have Justin so and Wes? Okay, there we are. We're yeah. dealing. We're basically dealing with two obelisks. Most people only know about one of them. Uh, but the, the Washington Monument itself, it stands 555 feet above ground. And the physics involved in that uh, basically goes 111 feet inside the ground. That's, that's what keeps it from falling over. Wait a so minute. What we have- 555 feet high and 111 feet under the ground. All right. You do the math. <laughs> <laughs> six, six, six. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now, it's fascinating because they've also inculcated the magic 666 square into the monument uh, base. What's crazy about this is that it's it's also called an Apollinean square based off of the god Apollo. And uh, the Apollinean square, it's a binding utility, which they believe that it's a spiritual binding utility that you can bind the power and influence – uh, over different spirits, different gods, different powers, uh, if you put them beneath or in the vicinity of this binding square. Now, what's crazy is that you add up any random line of the square, and it's going to give you 111, but it's always going to give you the totality of 666. Uh, it's literally a magic square. And they've got this thing set up to bind Dan Brown's lost symbol. Most people know about the lost symbol, but they don't know what it is. They just they've heard about the lost symbol, but in reality, the lost symbol is a Masonic Bible that has been bound in the testes of the obelisk, the Washington Monument. It's been bound beneath a 12-foot mini obelisk, and it's within the realm of being bound uh, by the Apollinean 666 square. Now, they believe – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say when you say the testes because we have to explain that the the, the obelisk is a a phallic symbol that goes back to uh, Isis and trying to resurrect uh, her brother, husband, Osiris. So maybe we just spend a few moments talking about that that legend, that myth. Okay. uh, Do you want to take that, Wes, or do you want me to take the myth? Yeah, okay. Um, So you have this – um, you have, like you were mentioning, you have Isis and you have Osiris, and they were uh, in a relationship together. And you had the evil brother Set, who was conspiring against Osiris, and he conspired with the seventy-two cosmic raiders. And like we were mentioning earlier, that parallels with the uh, the divine council uh, in the Bible. And so, um, uh, Set takes Osiris, chops him into fourteen pieces, and tosses him into the Nile River. And apparently, some fish got a hold of his phallic member and destroyed it. And so, um, when when Isis was looking for Osiris, uh, she was able to find thirteen of the fourteen pieces, which also parallels with and uh, you know modern uh, history of the United States and the thirteen colonies. Um, but uh, side note: so uh, I, Isis gets the pieces of Osiris, fashions them back together, and is, and is missing his phallic uh, symbol there. So she constructs one of her own, which is the obelisk, which is the the shaft, if you would. Um, right. And she fixes it. I'm trying to keep it family oriented here. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so she fixes it all back together again, and. Uh, she performs this ritual, this raising of Osiris ceremony, which is basically calling on the seed of Osiris to be called up from the underworld 
Um, and the idea goes is that she's got this ever pregnant belly. And so she passes this down. Um, this was used back in Egypt with all of the pharaohs from that point forward. And so they realized, they uh, they looked at it as, well, we're going to do this ritual. And fair, it's called the Festival of Opet. And the as the pharaoh is going down the Nile River, the magicians are doing this ritual, calling up the seed of Osiris to inhabit this pharaoh. And so their idea was that they would be getting divine representation um, deifying the Pharaoh to be able to, to rule Egypt. And that also we find, um, I don't want to give away too much too soon, but we find out that that's also taking place in America, uh, at the inauguration of every U S president. And it's a, it's a recreation of, uh, what took place in Egypt. You had the ever pregnant belly of ISIS, which is the capital dome. And then you have this, <clears throat> This phallic symbol, the um, the obelisk, the Washington Monument, um, you have the the phallic symbol of Osiris, and so that's um, that puts a different spin on uh, on that picture. But the, the thing about this ritual is that it has to be performed with the subject standing between a dome and an obelisk. This is this is part of the official language that has been kept in Freemasonry over the years. And so what's fascinating about this, and you'll see this all over the world, you'll see so many connections in these in these highly occult uh, governing cities, you'll find a dome and an obelisk. You see this in Vatican City. Matter of fact, uh, a friend of ours uh, that, that has a YouTube channel uh, called End Times Productions, he actually did a, a, a full screen of these different places around the world that do the dome and the obelisk. Like it's this is this is the the formula for the ritual. And what happens is the president elect goes and stands up to become the president of the United States. He stands up on the stage that they set up out in the mall area, and he's literally standing in the middle of an ancient magical generator. I mean, listen, this sounds like something out of Ghostbusters. Okay, Uh, it's so hard to believe. But when you get out there, you see it and you understand it. And guys, I, I just I have to say. The Masons are doing this ritual around the corner in the Herodome at the inauguration of every U.S. president. We have confirmed this on so many levels. They claim to have the identical language and the identical ritual that has been handed down all these years, literally identical to what takes place at the at the Festival of Opet. So while the inauguration is taking place, while the president has his hand on the Bible and is is being sworn in by the chief justice of the Supreme Court on the steps of the Capitol building in sight line with the obelisk, the Freemasons in their building also on the mall are performing this same ancient Egyptian ritual, which seeks to resurrect the spirit of Osiris which is also Apollo in the Greek pantheon, uh, into, into the president. They believe what it's doing is that it's creating divine representation. Now, the idea is that that president walks up on those steps as a man. But when he walks off of those steps after the ritual, he is divine. He is a god. He is filled with the spirit of Osiris. That is what the Freemasons believe. Now, This is crazy because it's all a preliminary ritual of the final ritual that will take place in a whole nother setting. Now we've talked. Now it's still in the same uh, the same category. That there's a ritual chamber that we'll talk about tonight, probably uh, if it's okay. Uh, And that that ritual chamber is still in the same place, like it's in the same vicinity between a dome and an obelisk. But we're dealing with a, a ritual that takes place 
right around the corner, and they've got the magic square right there above their altar in the Herodome. We actually show photos and video of this in the film because uh, we were able to go and, and, and take some video and some photos uh, at the Herodome. Uh, we actually have a family member who's a famous 33rd-degree Freemason, uh, big t- major celebrity. We dropped his name when we got there, and we got treated like royalty. Matter of fact, we got blacklisted. They told us we couldn't come in. Um, and, uh, oh, man, I, I don't even want to get off track here. But if people really – if people have any uh, doubt about how influential the Freemasons are over D.C., um, we had our, our location scout getting all of our permits in order. As soon as they we, – we were in touch with the Masons at the lodge because we were trying to get permission to film inside the lodge. Once they saw our website and found out who we were connected with, Tom Horn. They literally blacklisted us, Richard. Uh, nobody – at that point, everybody stopped communicating with us all over D.C. None of the rest of our permits got fulfilled. We only got the permits filled that were filled before we were in touch with the Masons. Once the Masons got involved, they straight up blackballed us. Wow. Um, just – we're heading into a break here, so uh, we'll save this this uh, question for after, but I'll just throw it out there now. And uh, So what I'm wondering is – do you believe that Isis or sorry, Osiris slash Apollo is the Antichrist and that this is an attempt, uh, this ritual is an attempt to bring forth the Antichrist through the president of the United States during an inauguration? Is that what's in store? Is that the prophecy? We'll come back and continue this conversation with Wes and Justin Fall, Fourth Watch Films, Belly of the Beast, the director's cut. We'll tell you how to get a copy or screen a copy when we come back. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone tuning in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. Hiya to each of you checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Hey, you streaming us live at zoomerradio.ca and on the free Zoomer Radio app. And hi there to those streaming us live on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Incidentally, we're at 20,400 subscribers. Please hit the red sub button if you're new to the YouTube channel. And of course, a special hello to those assembled in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. If you enjoy The Conspiracy Show, you should check out my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and the free Conspiracy Unlimited app is now available for Android and iOS devices, available in the App Store and Google Play. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus members can now stream premium episodes from the app, so to subscribe, Go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. And again, the free Conspiracy Unlimited apps for both Android and iOS are available wherever you purchase your apps. Uh, Wes and Justin Falls stay with us this hour as we continue to delve into the occult, 
and pagan origins of the United States. Belly of the Beast, Director's Cut, is a groundbreaking documentary film that presents the hidden history of the United States and its secret origins of the deep state that you've never seen or heard before, as well as decoding their present-day conspiracies and the future prophecies to come. The adventures include a mysterious Bible that's bound in the testes of the Washington Monument and where and why an underground obelisk awaits nearby. The entrance to a secret crypt in D.C. that's connected to the underworld, the origins of American Lucifer worship uh, worship linked to the deep state, and for the first time ever revealed the U.S. government-owned location where the Antichrist will likely be resurrected on American soil. So before the, at the top of the hour, uh, I was asking you about the, the rise of the Antichrist. Is that ultimately the purpose of this ritual? And is, in your estimation, Osiris and Apollo, his equivalent, is he the Antichrist? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I believe uh, without any doubt, because these men who have crafted these things in America, they fully believed in the hope of the Novus Ordo Seclorum. They believed in the ancient writings of Plato. They, they believed in the writings of so many others in time past that they were going to fulfill this Novus Ordo Seclorum. They really believe that America is going to be that beacon of light uh, in Freemasonry, very much so. Now, you ask about, do we think this is going to be the Antichrist? Absolutely. Uh, it's, the, it's one of those stories that lines up nearly verbatim with biblical prophecy. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable, Richard. You start getting into the, to the, you know, the logistics of it all, and it literally falls right in line with Scripture. So when this, when this whole ritual takes place, again, I want to I just differentiate for one second between the ritual that happens at the inauguration and the ritual that's going to happen with the Antichrist, because there is a special chamber that's been created in D.C. Matter of fact, Tom Horn discovered this. It blew our minds. Uh, I was very skeptical about it at first. When, when he told me about this chamber, I was skeptical. But we went to D.C., we did homework, we read up, and we learned a lot. And the fact is, there is a chamber that was built for George Washington's body to lay in, but it really wasn't meant for his body to lay in. That's just what they said. He never laid there. And this, this chamber is in the Capitol Dome, which, by the way, if you go to the Library of Congress website and you look it up, you're going to find out that the, the Capitol building is literally a resurrected pagan temple to ISIS. Okay, now they don't hmm. use the term ISIS, but they call it a temple. They call it the Temple of Liberty. Now, Liberty is another name for the goddess. Uh, we do a whole breakdown on the goddess of Liberty in the film, and we show how the Statue of Liberty was not even called the Statue of Liberty up until the late 1800s, early 1900s. It was called the Goddess of Liberty. Ah, so interesting. We, we've seen a shift of rationalism. We, we've literally shifted into rationalism, and we've tried to Christianize things in, in this country, when in fact our nation's history is so uh, just rich with occultist, uh, Egyptian, Masonic history. I mean, it's unbelievable. But so is the Statue of Liberty a representation place. of ISIS? Well, there's actually a handful of goddesses that de it depends on which historian you talk to. Some people are going to say ISIS, um, but generally we're dealing with the, the in what we would call the infernal female archetype. You know, we're dealing with the, the goddess, which many names in different parts of the world, but it's always what, what they would call the supreme deity goddess. So you've got ISIS, you know, some, some would uh, 
refer to her as Sybil. Um, Hectate, I believe, is another one. Gaia. Uh, Gaia. I mean, there, Athena. There's a lot of names that get thrown around depending on which branch of uh, you know historians you're hanging out with. But absolutely, we show that they're all the same. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to blow some minds right now. This is uh, probably a very controversial statement. But if you go and visit the Vatican, a lot of people like to go and look at the museums and the statues and all of that. Uh, what you're going to find out is that in one building, you're going to see a statue of what they call Mary and Jesus. But then you go to the building to the side of that, and you're going to see a statue identical, but they don't call it Mary and Jesus. They actually call it Isis and child. Isis and child. So what we find out is that that winds up with Catholic history when they iconized uh, the pagan gods and goddesses and gave them Christian names uh, back under the rule of Constantine. Right, right. Go ahead, Wes. I'm sorry. I was just going to add to your uh, your uh, initial question. So you have um, you have Osiris uh, from Egypt, and then you have Apollo from the Greeks. The Bible talks about Apollyon, this angel from the bottomless pit, and, and we break it down in the film, and uh, we can go into more detail, if you like, um, about the different world kingdoms that are prophesied in the Bible. Um, but the book of Revelation talks about this, this angel from the bottomless pit. <clears throat> now, how that ritual lines up with this and the, the connection that we make. Um, so we don't necessarily believe that it's going to be um, at the inauguration of U.S. president that it's just going to start working. There are certain things that God's put in place, certain barriers, and there's a restrainer that talked about uh, that Paul talks about in Second Thessalonians. And up until that point that the restrainer is moved, um, things are, are kept in order. But once that restrainer is moved out of the way, then Antichrist is going to be revealed. There's going to be um, a great falling away, um, and the abomination of desolation is going to is going to follow. Um, so we're looking at it in terms of uh, scripture because you know we are uh, biblically based here and our worldview, and there is going to be a world king, and we also go into that in the film um, with a friend of ours that went to, um, he went to a UN meeting uh, as an independent from the World Federalist, and they gave him a book saying that, you know, we need to have a world king, and so all of this is all lining up, and so when that world king comes on the scene, there's going to be a world leader, and he's, the Bible says he's going to suffer a deadly head wound, and then He's going to be inhabited, literally inhabited by the spirit of Satan, and it's going to be a counterfeit Christ and in place of Christ. And he's, yeah, it's going to be a, the counterfeit, the ultimate counterfeit of Christ trying to resurrect. And so at a certain point, God's going to allow that to happen. We believe that when the strainers taken out of the, out of the way, then that would allow this ritual to take, to take place and to, to succeed. So it's it's going to take place on American soil, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily the Antichrist will be in the form of a U.S. president, or will it? Um, when you get down to it, uh, we find out that it's not just presidents that will lie in state at the Capitol Dome. Uh, so it's, it's possible that it could be another person, another world leader. Uh, we tend to believe that it will be an American president based on the language uh, that we find out as we study some of these rituals and, and, and the history of that. Uh, you know, our, our, our motto in America is E Pluribus Unum, you know, one out of many. It carries an idea of a melting pot, Richard, where people from all over the world, all over, you know, various religions and creeds and backgrounds, and skin colors, that we're all going to come together in this new world. 
That is what e pluribus unum means. We are one nation made out of every other nation on earth. We're a melting pot. Now, this is important to note as well because that lines up with Scripture. There are so many Scriptures in Revelation that line up. I mean, America, the name America is not in the Bible, obviously. But when you start comparing things, there is no other country on earth. You know, we've been told that, well, it's going to be Jerusalem or it's going to be Rome and Vatican. I mean, people can sit here and speculate, but if you go down and do the checklist that we do in in the final chapter of our film, there is no other nation that checks off all of these boxes. And so I believe the president uh, of America at that time will be, in fact, the person that is raising up to do this. And I do believe that he will have ties major ties to the Freemasons, but not just the Freemasons, Bohemian Grove, you know, ties to possibly theosophy, uh, Ordo Templi Orientis. I mean, there are so many secret societies that come together and meet annually at the Bohemian Grove. So there's really no telling, but we know that Bohemian Grove brings foreign leaders as well as domestic. Mm-hmm. Right, because if, if memory serves, the Antichrist uh, has to... He's going to deceive. He's the great deceiver. He's going to, he's going to uh, deceive Christians into believing that he is the second coming of Christ. He's going to deceive uh, Jews that he is the Messiah, their long-awaited Messiah. He's going to deceive Muslims that he is the is it the twelfth Imam. Uh, he's going to have to he's going to have to convince all of these world religions that he is their long-awaited uh, Messiah in, in various forms and and. I don't know how how is a U.S. president uh, going to manage to do that? Well, um, I mean, and like Justin was saying, it could be, um, or like you were mentioning, it could be anybody from across the world. But we do know that it has to be somebody with uh, some political power that's that's going to be running things. The I guess the when I look at this, this is going to be some supernaturalism that is unprecedented and definitely in our lives, but even then and throughout history of, of the world. And and when you have somebody who literally comes back to life after receiving a deadly head wound, and then further on you find out that he's able to, you know, call down fire from heaven and do these super just just crazy things, very, you know, as we would see in like a sci fi movie, um, the world has never seen anything like that. And so when you see or when that happens He's he's going to come through. He's going to be talking peace. He's going to have, you know, this. Um, he's going to have he's going to have knowledge far beyond anything that we could muster up. And because he's literally inhabited by you know Satan, the spirit of Satan. Um, so when you have that type of event, that type of you know supernaturalism taking place, I think that personally, I think that the majority of the world they they're walking by sight, and not by faith. And so this is going to be that sign for this generation. Um, and I mean, look at, look at the way this generation's going. They're going to be, they're, they're looking, they're, they're in dire need of a savior. Um, since they rejected Christ, they're going to be accepting somebody that comes in their own name. So let's take a few moments and talk about this entrance to the secret crypt in D.C. I think we started down that road, and I probably sidetracked you, but uh, this is something that Thomas Horn had discovered and told you about. Did we, I don't think we pursued that fully, did we, uh, Justin? We did not. Uh, so basically okay. what we have here is we have the Temple of Liberty, which is the Capitol Dome, uh, also known as the Womb of Isis. And it, the way that they've got it set up, it, it's set up in, la- in different layers, 
and the equivalent of the basement, if you will, the basement level uh, would be where you're going to find this ritual chamber. And it's not easily accessible. We were able to get some footage. Uh, it's under lock and key now, Richard. Uh, matter of fact, there was a young lady that worked for uh, a politician in D.C. or one of the one of the state representatives. Uh, she was able to get in there, get some footage, uh, not realizing what she was looking at. And so we were able to get footage. They've got it locked up right now. There's pentagrams on the floor down there. Uh, but what's fascinating about it is it used to be on display early on. Like they, they still had the pictures of it from the Library of Congress, which we show in the film. Uh, but it's never had a body lay there. That's important to note. Uh, Walt Whitman, the, the famous American poet, he's on record saying that uh, Washington was becoming the Osiris. Now, Washington never became the Osiris. He was a type. They knew this. They absolutely knew for a fact that he was not going to be the fulfillment of the Novus Ordo Secorum, or the New World Order, if you will. They knew that he was just a type. He was the first American Osiris, but not the final so when they built this crypt, they never had any plan on putting him in there. There was already a lot of controversy uh, about where he was going to get buried. So they built this crypt. It's beneath the 13 statues in the statutory hall. And 13, by the way, uh, again, we're dealing with the 13 uh, pieces of Osiris put back together and also the 13, uh, the, the original 13 colonies of America that were brought together in a more perfect union. That was all by design, based on the old myths and legends of Egypt. And so what we find is that you got this body that's going to lay down on the ground level. Above that, you've got the 13 statues, and there's symbolism with all these statues and placement as well, and the way that the floors are set up. But then you get up to the next level up, and you're dealing with the womb of Isis, literally, uh, with the apotheosis of George Washington. And if you look up into that underbelly, you're going to see that there's a massive circle of 72 pentagrams, surrounding the apotheosis, and inside of that, you see George Washington becoming the Osiris. He's literally becoming a god, and he's surrounded by pagan gods and goddesses of the old world. This is what you see when you go into the Capitol building. If you just look up there, anybody can Google this, the apotheosis of George Washington, and that literally translates to the deification of George Washington. Washington becoming a god, entering into the underworld where Osiris is. And so all of these things, we break down the numerology, uh, we're dealing with Kabbalah, ancient Hebrew mysticism, uh, all this numerology has been inculcated into the design of this grand pagan temple known as the Capitol Building. There has never been a ritual chamber built to this level, Richard. Not to mention, we're dealing with the largest obelisk of its kind in the entire world. We're right, dealing with a right. pentagram layout on the streets. Every, I mean, everything that's going on in Washington, D.C. is unbelievably occult. There has never been a chessboard for an occult ritual of a master scale than Washington, D.C., Richard. Uh, so this crypt, uh, you say it's connected to the underworld. Are you talking about sort of metaphorically or energetically or, I mean, literally, if you were to get into this crypt – It'll take you, what, deep down into the bowels of the earth? Uh, when I say uh, it's, a, it's a metaphoric connection to the underworld, uh, where they believe Osiris uh, reigns right now, basically. So uh, if you just look at it, and you'll see the video. Uh, when we show the video, it's, it's locked up, the way they've got this set up, this crypt set up. Uh, 
it's basically um, all you can do is look in and see that there's there's pentagrams on the floor. You really there there's no explanation. There's no plaque on the wall. It's not even open to the public. They have closed this part of the Capitol building down. They don't want you to even get near it. So we had to outsource the footage uh, from a girl that worked for the congressman. But, yeah, it's a crypt. They believe it's connected to the underworld, but it's not like an actual entrance down into the hollow earth or anything like that, as far as I know. But then again, I've never mm-hmm. I've never had full access to it. Uh, again, approaching let me, let me a, a break just, here. Yeah, yes, go ahead. Wes, the, did you the want to add something? The most bit of evidence is that it's directly linked up with the 72 pentagrams and the 13 statutory hall uh, collection. I mean, they're, they're, the, the numerology is just impeccable of where this chamber resides. Right, right. Um, we're approaching the uh, the break here, but I just I wanted to start the conversation about the connection of the deep state to all of this Luciferian worship, etc., um, let, let's begin that conversation, because I, I think it's Colonel, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Colonel Robert McGinnis, who's been on the program a number of times, who talks about the different layers of the deep state and how they are uh, sort of aiding and abetting and propping up this Luciferian system. Who wants to who wants to jump in on that one? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start on that, Richard. <clears throat> yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis uh, does a, an excellent job of breaking it down. Um, in, in summation, he breaks down three different levels of the deep state. And so you have the first level, which is in Washington, that's the bureaucracy and the legislative um, arm of things. And that's where the policy gets set and, you know, uh, ultimately gets spread out on the world stage. <clears throat> but you also have the second level, which influences the first level. And the second level are your foreign governments, your think tanks, but also your secret societies. And also your um, your very you know rich elite um, deep pocketed individuals such as you know George Soros and uh, different people like that, that that are funding terrorism and I mean we see that you know just slip on the TV uh, but that's the second level that is influencing the first level and then the third level is the spirit realm and that's um, actually tapping into the other side to be able to get power uh, through rituals and to to get direction to influence the second level, which influences the first level, which spreads out this ideology on the world stage. Uh, Which is interesting because uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, McGinnis also, I think, referred to Washington, D.C. as the the most evil place on the planet. But there are many sort of uh, pagan uh, worshiping type groups that seem to be headquartered in Washington. Is there not also a sort of a... uh, a uh, notorious witch's coven that's located in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, there, there absolutely is. Uh, it's a massive, uh, McGinnis points out in the film that it, it's got a massive witchcraft community. Uh, but we need to also investigate the fact, and, and this is a little extra, we didn't put this, uh, we didn't put a lot of this in the film, we mentioned it, but D.C. was this very special city, Richard. It was chosen in advance. Uh, matter of fact, the land of D.C. before it was called D.C., uh, which, by the way, D.C. stands for District of Columbia. Columbia, the name of the goddess that is worshipped and elevated in D.C. Uh, Columbia is another name for the goddess of liberty, by the way. Uh, but uh, I don't okay, I'm sorry, there. Justin, I've, uh, got, I've got to jump in because we have to take a break, but we'll pick up on that on the other side. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Shaking the world. 
and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Wes and Justin Fall, my guests, and their new documentary is Belly of the Beast. This is the director's cut. Before we proceed, gentlemen, how do we uh, screen this uh, documentary? How do we see it? If you head over to fourthwatchfilms.com, all spelled out, fourthwatchfilms.com. Uh, you can go there. We've got DVDs available. Uh, some people want to stream it immediately, and they can stream it in high definition. Uh, right there from our page, there's a link to watch it instantly or to buy the DVD. FourthWatchFilms.com. All right. Now, we were talking about uh, the um, some of the, occult, the occultic groups located in Washington, D.C., and you were telling us about uh, some some practicing uh, witches and so forth. A very large group of uh, witches in 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 Washington. Do you want to continue with that? Yeah, I, I wanted to make the point that D.C. Uh, it's one of those places that was uh, very pertinent to the occult world even before it was set up as D.C. formally. Uh, before they called it D.C., it was owned by a guy named Pope. And he owned he actually owned uh, quite a bit of land, and uh, ironically, his name was Pope. And it's the city on seven hills. Uh, most people don't know that D.C. sits on seven hills. And the name of the land before it was D.C. was Rome, Maryland. So these are some just some fun facts uh, showing even more connections to Rome and the revived Roman Empire. But what's fancy about all this is that there's a, another purpose why people are drawn to D.C. in the occult, because they are seeking a place to do their rituals beneath the light of the dog star. This is one of those things a lot of people don't talk about, uh, but different times of the year, it's almost like D.C. has a second moon, and it's called Sirius, the dog star. And Sirius has ties back to the mythologies of Osiris and Isis as well, but where the light raises up in that star, where it shines down on D.C., the street layout, it is all literally set up for rituals dating back to ancient Egypt. So when people move to D.C., there's a lot of people who will tell you that they feel the presence of evil in D.C. I mean, Robert McGinnis, uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Robert McGinnis specifically says that he feels the principalities over the city when he's there. Uh, Again, he said it's one of the wickedest places on earth. And he says that it tends to draw people in from all over the world that are part of the occult. Hmm. Um. Do do we know about any, uh, I don't know, human sacrifices perhaps happening in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I want to be careful not to speculate. I'm I'm very much, uh, I believe that it's easy to share opinions and ideas, um, and people can take those and run with them uh, off the deep end. I absolutely believe there's human sacrifices going on in D.C. There's no doubt about it. Matter of fact, there's actually an underworld in D.C. Uh, A lot of people don't realize this, but the city is over hollow earth. They've got steamworks uh, throughout the city. Uh, You'll see these big holes with steam coming up out of the ground. Uh, There's definitely uh, a physical underworld that people don't see uh, underneath D.C. I definitely believe that the cabal is doing human sacrifice in D.C., and it's linked up with the upper echelon of uh, the social world and the political world in D.C. So, yeah, absolutely. I believe there's human sacrifice going on there. Uh, I would even say that there's reason to believe that there's some human sacrifice going on, even possibly 
Um, probably shouldn't say that. Actually, I, I don't. I don't want to get you in trouble. I, I don't know what, what what can be said and what can't be okay. said on the radio. Again. Fair enough. Well, I think we've. I think we've. Yeah, we've gone far enough in that in that direction. But let me let me move uh, west if we can, because you mentioned that that uh, one of the the tentacles of the deep state has to do with the uh, you know the the powerful and the elite, the movers and shakers, and um, they gather in a place called Bohemian Grove, in uh, in California. Uh, this I think it's something like twenty seven hundred acres. This this uh, this playground where, um, well, tell me about Bohemian Grove if you could. Sure. Um, we first found out about this. I'm sure most of your listeners are uh, familiar with the Alex Jones' film, Dark Secrets Inside Bohemian Grove. And that was our first uh, introduction to this this place. And what we found from that video footage, as well as doing more research on our own, is that you basically have what's, just, I mean, what the Bible describes as a high holy place in the Old Testament. Um, that's what's taking place in the grove um, in the Redwood Forest in, uh, in, in California. And the the reason we included it in the film is because, uh, well, like you were given reference to, that the deep state does operate that third that third level of the deep state dives into the spirit realm. And so when you look at Bohemian Grove, that's where basically all the walls come down between the secret societies. So um, they meet out there, and it's, uh, it's both Republican, Democrat, it's media moguls, it's you name it. It's the elites of the world, the movers and the shakers, and they get, they get them to – to come out there uh, once a year, and it's in the summertime. I believe it's either, um, either, it's either yeah, June or July, um, and they, they go out there, and there's this big stone owl, and they do – it's hard to say whether it's a, a mock sacrifice, a mock human sacrifice, or if it's real. Uh, we tend to believe that it's a real human sacrifice uh, just for the fact that if, if you're getting the, the, the movers and shakers of the world to come out, and commune together and, and participate in this ritual, then, you know, why would it be fake? Um, but outside of that, um, it also ties into just looking at the occult in itself. Um, blood is required for high-level sorcery, and so it would just make sense that that would be the case. So we're, we're looking at past presidents. Uh, we, we document it very well with, with images, and with um, we were able to get some, some photographs from early 1900s. And, and then moving forward into some of their annuals and things like that, and you're looking at um, you're looking at past presidents, um, both sides of the of the spectrum, right or the left, and they're all. I mean, when you get out there, it's 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 camaraderie. It's they're all out there for a unified purpose, and that purpose is to cast out care. So it's like you you go out there and you make this sacrifice, and that allows them to to, to be. It allows them to, to appease the gods that they're, they're trying to, to seek and to get power and to gain direction as far as what's going to take place throughout the, the year on the world scene. And so that's why we look at Bohemian Grove. I want to make so these would be some – sorry, these, these would be some of the same characters I, I suppose that show up at a Bilderberg meeting, but this is kind of like summer camp for the uh, – what, the Illuminati? Is that the idea? I would say it's a summer camp for the highest level occultist uh, movers and shakers uh, on the global scene. But it's not just a summer camp. It is a summer camp, but it's so much more because they've got uh, a whole list of uh, preparatory rituals that take place, uh, lots of decadence, lots of weird uh, 
weird mixtures of behavior out there. Uh, that, that, that's probably a, a, a PG version. But we find that there are a lot of rituals that take place from the time they, they get out there and get things set up. But it's a massive ritual that literally they believe it's kind of appeasing the God, of, you know, their God, for the next year. It's a ritual where they, they want to pass the blood to the God, you know, the God that they're calling on, so that they get preparations and provisions for the next year to come. But you are right, though. The, the Bilderberg would fall underneath the second level of the deep state, and then Bohemian Grove would fall more underneath the third level, if you, if you ask our opinion on that. Right. But I want to clear the, something up. Yeah, go ahead. We need to make sure we, we clear this up. A lot of people have been falsely told that the, the owl out there is called Moloch. Uh, you know, Moloch is a, is a god from the, it's a Canaanite deity from the Old Testament where they would sacrifice their children to. Matter of fact, the Lord, you know, the Lord told people, don't do that. He, he, he told them, you're not supposed to let your kids pass through the fire. It's interesting because they're passing their sacrifice through the fire, just like the Canaanites did in the Old Testament. But we don't believe it's Moloch. We actually believe that the owl, the, the owl, we showed this in the film, but the owl is actually connected to the witchcraft goddess Hectate and also Semiramis. Now, ironically, there's a very large crowd of historians that say that our Statue of Liberty is actually Semiramis, the wife of Nimrod, Queen of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Now, what's crazy about that is that if our Statue of Liberty is, in fact, Semiramis, and they're doing a sacrifice in Bohemian Grove to her little sidekicks, which would be the owl, there's a bigger connection here than we might really think. Hmm. Fascinating. There's a there's a um, a scene in the in in Belly of the Beast where Alex Jones confronts David Gergen. People may have seen David Gergen as a commentator on CNN and various news uh, programs, and he was a former advisor, I believe, to something like four presidents, both Republican and Democrat, including Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, uh, George uh, Bush, and uh, and uh, uh, Bill Clinton. And uh, Gergen, in a, I guess it was in a New York Times article, had stated that he had attended Bohemian Grove uh, on a number of occasions, but he, he quote, didn't run around in, in the woods naked and drunk or something to that extent. Uh, just to briefly uh, ex- explain that, that exchange between Jones and Gergen, if you could. It's fascinating because uh, David Gergen was a very friendly and very cordial until he realized that Alex Jones was exposing him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, regardless of what people think of Alex Jones, uh, it's very telling to watch this interview. Most people aren't even familiar with this interview because it's so old. But it validates the fact that our leading politicians are going out to, to this place, Bohemian Grove, and it absolutely validates the fact that they're doing a large-scale satanic ritual. Because when he asked him about the ritual, uh, David Gergen gets absolutely just infuriated. I mean, he comes back and says, it is none of your damn business. That's his response about the ritual. <laughs> and so, I mean, when you watch the interview, it's crazy because it's taking a guy who is all over the news. He's all over CNN and Fox at, at different times. Uh, like you said, he's been an advisor to Republicans and Democratic presidents. And yet he is a major player, and he goes out there, and he clearly knows about the ritual and his whole demeanor changes and and he then turns around and tells alex jones that this was ungentlemanly for him to have 
crashed the party. And I'm sitting back thinking, ungentlemanly, you guys are out there doing, you know, human sacrifices and running around naked in the woods. Well, David Gergen wasn't running around naked in the woods, according to his story. But it's important that we put that in there because it shows somebody who is in their circles, who is a somebody, who is a a career politician, and he completely validates what's going on out there, even though he didn't want to. All right, we've got to take a time out. We'll come back and continue with uh, Justin and Westfall, the Fall Brothers, Belly of the Beast, Director's Cut, right here on The Conspiracy Show. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And uh, before we proceed, gentlemen, again, let people know how they can screen a Belly of the Beast, the Director's Cut. Yeah, head over to fourthwatchfilms.com. Let me spell that out in case anyone uh, can't understand me. It's F-O-U-R-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-F-I-L-M-S.com, fourthwatchfilms.com. Right there, you're going to have access to the DVDs, or if you want to stream it, uh, you can stream it. There's a link right there at the top of the website, and everything is is pretty clear to, to operate over there. All right. Uh, just a, 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 a couple of final points on Bohemian Grove and the Bohemian Grove Club, and then uh, I, I want to touch on the World Federalist Society. You both mentioned that, I think, earlier. Uh, is the Bohemian Grove where future presidents, um, I guess, are interviewed, or, or is that the Bilderberg Club? I mean, do you have to get the imprimatur of the Bohemian Club in order to basically become president? Uh, as far as I know, I believe it's the it's from the Bilderberg side of things that, that kind of makes that decision and taps people. And the Bohemian Grove would kind of be like where you get people to, to join your club, you know, to make sure that, I mean, if, if you do a, a high-level ritual with somebody, you participate in that, it's kind of like you're, you know, you've already signed up and <laughs> blood, more or less. So I think it's um, the Bilderbergers would be the, the actual tapping but then um, Bohemian Grove could possibly be uh, looked at like a you know initiation, if you would. And if I could add to right. that as well, Bohemian Grove is one of those places where and, and Robert McGinnis, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, you know he he even confirmed that he is he's fully convinced the policy gets set in there, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's one of the things that you know the elite will tell you doesn't happen. The elite are very quick to say that they do not set policy in there. Because they've been busted. You know, they've been busted time and time again. Matter of fact, Colin Powell even uh, talked about, uh, you know, and mainstream media picked this up. Colin Powell talked about some of the things that were happening inside the Grove, uh, that there was going to be certain people rising up against Donald Trump. Uh, just kind of an interesting, you know, a, an interesting tidbit to see that we have evidence that they do set policy in there. But when you go to Bohemian Grove, you're literally, that's where they're, they're doing the rituals to ignite literally what's going to take place over the next year. So they talk about these things in Bilderberg. Uh, I believe that they do the rituals to get empowered, kind of like when a team goes into the dugout. You know, the, the, the Bohemian Grove is like their occult dugout where they go to get kind of, you know, they get their game plans together, and then they, they seal it with a magic ritual. And I also want to say that there's some pretty disturbing images that we show in the film that have never before been seen in the conspiracy community. Wes stumbled into a back door. Oh, wow, I don't know if I should even say this, but Wes stumbled into a back door at the Berkeley uh, College website. 
somehow he stumbled into this old HTML looking like backdoor page. He downloaded all these uh, film negatives from Bohemian Grove that we'd never seen before. I mean, we're talking about actual real bodies. Like these are these are not effigy. We have, uh, I mean, real bodies on altars and hanging from trees and being burned at the stake out there at Bohemian Grove. Sick. But so I do when you say a backdoor at Berkeley, you mean the university? You mean Berkeley, California, the university? That's right. Somehow he fell into some weird backdoor on the website. He was just searching around and he found all these hyperlinks uh, in a private HTML page, old school HTML. And he just started downloading these film scans. Uh, yeah. It was crazy. And a lot of them, I mean, a lot of your viewers have, are probably familiar with, with some of those pictures in there. Um, but we were able to get them at the highest quality uh, that I've ever seen, um, as well as just a, a plethora. I mean, it took it took days to go through them all and to decide on which ones we're going to use in the film. And they're very graphic. And, We've had some people come back and say that, that some of them were a little little more graphic than they wanted to see. But it's important that people see the reality mm-hmm. of what we're dealing with here. And and what do you think these photographs show? Uh, human sacrifice victims at Bohemian Grove? Absolutely. Uh, I'm just going to say this, and I, and I hate saying this, but uh, in that time period, anybody who studies history, if you go back to the early 1900s, when you see a when you see a person of a different race out there, when you see a bunch of elite white guys out there, and then you see a black body laying on an altar, you know for a fact what's going on. That in 1900, 1906, 1907, uh, they were not playing nice out there. With and how were you race. able to authenticate this and 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 verify that the photo was taken at Bohemian Grove? The photos actually line up with a lot of the other photos that we have. The popular photos, uh, they're taken in the same places. They're just different photos. Well, it was also it was a collection, and I can't remember the guy's name. Um, we do we do give them you know credit and everything um, and use the the pictures via fair use, but um, yeah, it was a it was a particular collection that was taken um, at Bohemian Grove, and and that was uh, verified by the the Berkeley website. All right, um, we're going to break here in a second, but I just want to ask you because you know we, doing the show tonight we've had some technical issues and they probably are just technical issues but during the film uh you had some some audio issues and 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 you think you were being kind of jammed i guess um do you guys ever worry that maybe you're you're poking around into things you shouldn't be and are you in danger at all you know we definitely there was a lot of a lot of things that happened during this project um, you know, we're at a point where, you know, we, we believe that these things are vital for people to understand. And this is Bible prophecy being fulfilled, and you will never hear this taught in church. Um, and so it's vital that people understand what's happening. So we're willing to put ourselves out there. I, I, you know, I know where I'm going to go when I die, Richard. I'm not worried about it. You know, somebody wants to take this life. Well, you know what? So be it. Um, I, the thing about what happened in D.C., was that once they found out, once the Masons found out that we were working with Tom Horn, and Tom Horn has a long history with the Masons in D.C., mm-hmm. very much. He's actually ticked them off. He, he's, he's, he's had some good relationships and some bad ones. Uh, but okay, I'm going to have to jump is, in here. Just, this, is a short, this is a short segment, so I'm just going to jump in. We'll, uh, we'll pick this up on the other side with uh, Justin and Westfall, Belly of the Beast, the Director's Cut, and the Occult and Pagan Origins of the United States. Back with more in a moment. I'm Richard Serrett. Thank you. 
When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, we have uh, a few minutes left, 10 to be precise, with Justin and Wes Fall of Fourth Watch Films and The Belly of the Beast, the director's cut, now available. Go to fourthwatchfilms.com and you can buy the DVD or you can screen, screen it, I guess, on, uh, on Vimeo, fourthwatchfilms.com. Uh, I want to ask you about the, uh, the World Federalist Society and uh, Carl Teichrib, who um, it's been years since I've had him on the program. I should have him back. Uh, Canadian, I believe, up in Winnipeg. But uh, Carl was uh, a member, if I'm not mistaken, of the World Federalist Society back in the 90s. Now, was he was he there as an was he infiltrating it or did at one time did he actually believe in the goals and aspirations of the World Federalist Society? Uh, it's a tough question, um, and I I don't think I've actually asked him that. But from my take and, and just judging uh, based on our friendship. Um, he is a believer, and so I would think that he's probably and just an amazing researcher, plethora of knowledge. Um, definitely recommend his book, uh, Game of Gods. But um, I don't think that he was there as a participant as far as um, going to be part of the cause. I th- I, I, he was going as an independent just for, as far as I know, for research purposes. Okay, and so tell us a little bit about the, the World Federalist Society within, I guess it's within the auspices of the United Nations and uh, what what their their goals and aspirations are and how that fits into this, you know, this Luciferian system. Sure. Well, it, it parallels with what the Bible talks about of this final world kingdom. And we do believe that it's being built and revived today. Um, and the, and the, the film is pretty, uh, pretty direct as far as that goes. Um, as far as the world federalist, it's it's a group of uh, people that are they're they're globalists. They want to see a one world police system. They want to see a one world economy, um, a one world government. Um, all the things that the Bible talks about for the final world kingdom. That's basically what they're they're working on doing. And with um, with that, that's why Carl was such a great asset to have on this because he's actually been there on the ground and heard their talks and, you know, taken notes and even written about it. Um, but he, he comes to the tables. Um, the biggest one of that was that the, the world king, that's what just pops into my mind and kind of resonates there, that they wanted to, that it was necessary for the world to have a world king, a supernatural ruler. Um, and he also goes into to talk about how they want to, well, they want to do away with Christianity. They want to have a one-world religion so that all paths lead to God, that whole, you know, e pluribus unum, uh, mandate. They they want to see this this happen, and they're doing it, you know, through lawful means, whatever that may look like. So, when you see what's happening now, uh, with very radical uh, groups running wild in the streets, tearing down uh, statues indiscriminately. Uh, they, they make no differentiation between Confederate leaders, slave owners, or even abolitionists. They've torn down statues. Uh, the Frederick Douglass, they, they tore down a statue of, of Frederick Douglass. There's just no rhyme or reason to what's going on. It's, it's chaos. How is this playing into, uh, 
I guess, the, the Luciferian system? Is it being orchestrated? Are these people just simply unaware? Are they useful fools? What's going on? Well, it's, uh, look, I've done a little research on this myself as far as the, the history of the social justice movement, and you can trace it back to Karl Marx's uh, Mark, the manifesto, uh, Communist Manifesto, and you have this uh, oppressed, you have two groups of people. You have the oppressors and you have the oppressed. And you can look up, um, you can look up interviews with the founders of the, the BLM movement and different things, and they say that they're trained Marxists. And so they come in with these community organizers and they teach their ideology to the masses. And that's what we're seeing, that that's the product of what we're seeing um, played out today. And unfortunately, like you said, I mean, they're, I think that they're just, I think that they're, the majority is, is ignorance because, you know, why, well, just, <laughs> just by going by what you just said, it's like, it really makes no sense unless you're trying to destabilize. It's all funded by the deep state. All of these things that you're saying right now in the news, it's all funded by the deep state. They've got to go along with the Masonic idea of order out of chaos. Uh, you create a problem. Then you bring the solution. People beg you for the solution, and that's basically it's the, the Hegelian dialectic. Uh, that's what we're seeing today. They've got to get the people in a place in America where they're going to accept the new rule, which is going to be a new system that is going to be brought about on the whole world scene. And this is going back to the vision of our nation's founders for the Novus Ordo Secorum. Uh, George Bush, even uh, Bush uh, W. Bush, talked about this in a post 9/11 speech. Uh, we believe that he was speaking in coded language that the uh, the events of 9-11 had nothing to do with Islam, but were actually carried out by the globalist cabal. It was a magic Aleister Crowley ritual. We break this down in the film, that 9-11 was actually a Crowleyan blood sacrifice to open up the new aeon. This is, I know that sounds unbelievable, but we document this verbatim, I mean, step by step in the film. So, yeah, we do believe that all these things happening today, they're trying to bring chaos so that they can tear down the current system and set up that Novus Ordo Secorum on the world scene. So if, if the, the United States is the, the whore of Babylon uh, in, in, from the Old Testament, uh, there is a judgment coming. And sometimes God uses evil to administer justice. Um, so where is this going? Is 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 there going to be, uh, I don't know, uh, World War III uh, being used against the Whore of Babylon? What, what's going to happen? How does this thing end? It, it's going to be painful at first, but they're going to bring about a new system that's going to be seemingly good for people. There's going to be a reset. Uh, we believe there will be a major reset, and the new system is going to please people. It's going to literally be utilized uh, across the world, uh, different cultures. The governments are going to lay down uh, their current situation. They're going to lay down their current guide, uh, guide, uh, you know, guidelines and framework, and they're going to buy into the new system so that we can have a global reset. And so, honestly, that reset has to take place for this, you know, the dawning of the age of Aquarius to be fulfilled. So that reset, people are going to love it. And so that's why we have to warn people now you got to be careful with these days that are coming upon the face of the earth. The Bible is very clear. It's the only book in history that documents these things verbatim the way that they're happening. So we need to be prepared for the days that are coming and not get sucked into the reset and have rose-colored glasses on. We have to be aware of the times. We need to be aware of their secret magic rituals that all make sense uh, when looked at through the right lens. That's why we do what we do. We want people to realize what's coming on the face of the earth, and we want to help people get prepared for those days 
by understanding the schemes of the devil. So, uh, in the end times, there is the mark of the beast. What what do you see that as as being? Uh, is it this new vaccination passport they're talking about? In other words, you don't get to go into work, you don't get to go on a plane, you don't get to go into, let's say, a conference or a, anywhere where social distancing is difficult unless you have a passport demonstrating you've been vaccinated. Is is that potentially the mark of the beast? I think they're all kind of holding hands together, but we do know that um, it's you're going to have to have it to be able to participate in society, um, like you were like you were saying in those kind of uh, scenarios. And we do see that the just personal thoughts. There's there's probably going to be a, an implosion of the dollar, so that there has to be a one world currency, so that you'll be able to have this mark um, that'll allow you to participate in society, but also to be able to to buy and sell. Um, we also believe that with the, I'm trying to condense this as much as possible. We also believe that it's going to actually, for the people that accept it, that it's going to affect their DNA to change them. And this ties into the transhumanism idea of becoming post-human. And with the mark of the beast, um, we believe that it's going to actually make you to, to a point where you're, you're no longer, uh, able to, to receive salvation. You're, because salvation was given to man, to mankind, but if you're no longer total, you know, 100% human, you're actually something else, then that would be, you're making that choice. So it's a form of worship, but it's also, um, it, it's a, a permanent decision that you're, that the, the people will have to make. Fallen, Justin, fallen angel technology. Justin, fallen angel technology, yep. yes. All right, Justin and Wes, thank you. Always a pleasure. And again, fourthwatchfilms.com. Uh, to uh, to buy the DVD or screen Belly of the Beast, the director's cut. Thank you both. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. All right. Next week, Joshua P. Warren on the program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Or at least up the stairs. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.